Welcome back to Word Season in the House. Mike Caruso, Anthony LaPanta. Uh, coming to you before the Wild play the Tampa Bay Lightning. Um, we'll just call them the Wild. I have to start calling them the I- Iowa yeah, Heartlanders. The I know. But they're almost not even the Iowa Wild anymore. They're about to become the Iowa Heartlanders. They are just absolutely ravaged by injuries now. You got Kirill Kaprizov that's probably out another 10 days. You got uh, Philip Gustafson who's out of their lineup at least a couple weeks, at least. Um, Jonas Bordin still not skating. Matt Zuccarello is about 10 days away. Uh, Marcus Foligno, it does not sound like this is a day-to-day injury. Uh, well, he's, we're going to find out a little bit more. Vinny Terry might have broken his foot. And now Jared Spurgeon is back on IR with the same, uh, what I'm hearing, aggravation of the lower body injury that he had uh, that just kept him out of lineup. Spurgeon, their captain, has played 16 games all season. This is his third time on injured reserve. Um, have you ever in your career seen anything like this for no. a team? In such a short span. Too. Short span of time and key players. You're talking about your top two scoring forwards in Kaprizov and Zuccarello, your best two defensemen in Spurgeon and Brodeen, your best goaltender in Gustafson. Think about that alone. Yeah. Then you throw in these other supporting cast guys. Marcus Foligno had been playing great hockey. Also, during this stretch, Ryan Hartman has missed a couple of games. It's really amazing when you think about what they've had to try to overcome. Welcome to Minnesota, John Hines. I mean, this yeah. is he's been forced to piece it together. I thought he's handled it pretty well. I, I thought his comment before the Calgary game was a good one where somebody asked him, about how they've been surviving these injuries. And he said, actually, I think we've been thriving. And they really have. I mean, 11 and 5 at that point, now 11 and 6. And 11 and 5, that where they played well enough to beat Winnipeg the second time, the second of the two back to back against the Jets, certainly played well enough to beat Calgary that night. You got to give them credit for how competitive they've been and how hard they've played. But at some point, and we saw it in the Calgary game. When you're playing with a $44 million payroll, you get exposed. And they got exposed in that game. Calgary's lineup was deeper, and Minnesota couldn't score. Now take out Spurgeon. They're down to 37. Um, It it really is just absolutely amazing. Like I was was just actually on the phone with uh, Bill Guerin about this whole thing. And, and, you know, what he's never seen anything like it. And I think in the last – I mean, this has happened, what, Three in the last three games, this this the major injuries have happened here to key guys. And what was shocking about it is that if I think about the practice before they went to Winnipeg and all the smiles and the laughs and Flurry playing with a can and all the vibes in the locker room and they had won eleven of fourteen coming off a huge win over Detroit. And now the feeling of this. I mean, you know, how like it's easy to say let's weather the storm. The reality is, is that the last two games they played really well enough to win, but but the reality is the reality. You're playing with a bunch of minor leagues. No doubt. I I got home from that game, the second game in Winnipeg, and I made the comment to Margo when I got home that it's amazing how fast the feel of a team can change. Eleven and three, everything going great, heading into these two big games with the Jets, eight points behind them get a couple wins here, and all of a sudden you're talking about a team that's on the cusp of climbing into the top three in the division instead of fighting for a wild card spot. And then when we got home 36 hours later, uh, flying home from Winnipeg, and walking, we had to go through the airport to go through customs because we were coming back from Canada. So walking through the, the uh, not we couldn't just get off on the tarmac, we're walking through the runways at the at the airport, and the number of guys that were now 
limping and hobbled, and that didn't even really include Felino at that time. Although in hindsight, he clearly was banged up because he he took two minutes of the morning skate the next game. It's it is something how fast the vibe can change, and they're still in a spot where they if they can somehow find a way to tread water during this period and get everybody back the season hasn't gotten away from them yet, but it could if a couple of these teams 100%. that are on the bubble with them string together a good stretch of six Look or eight. Seattle. while the Seattle's Wild are beat not up. losing right now. Arizona continues to play well. I mean, these are... They are, and yeah. but as long as you stay somewhat in the same area as those teams, I'd mm-hmm. say those two, Calgary, Nashville, those are the teams that you're going to be fighting at the end of the season. And as long as none of those teams run away right now, then you get healthy and it's fine. But we also are getting to the point in the season where you can't just keep saying when we get healthy, when they get healthy, if they get healthy, because right now they can't stay healthy. Yeah. And there are some seasons where that just happens. And once guys starting to get hurt, it's hard for that to stop. Spurgeon might be a good example of that where he wasn't healthy. He wasn't back. healthy yeah. when he came back and as patient as they tried to be. And, and now as things get tighter, and the deeper you get in the season, the less patient you can be with those guys. I have, I'm not saying that I think the Wild hurried him back or anything, but you start to see this stuff pop up over and over again, and it does make you wonder, can you get your guys healthy? Or is it truly going to require an offseason before these guys come back at 100%? Yeah, this is this is not a good situation uh, by any stretch of the imagination. Um, I... Uh, you know, I, I I do wonder right now how long this can continue and 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 how chaotic this has now become for the organization. They basically have nobody left in Iowa to call up. Um, I but mean, the top Beck, three Beckman, scorers yeah. from Iowa are yeah. here now, plus Letary, who had eight points in ten games down there. And right. if he had been down there longer, he would have been at or near the top of that list. But when you look at their top scorers, Patan, Lucini, and Walker are all up here. Throw in Letary, Damon Hunt, who was getting as many minutes as anybody down there. They're eventually about to steal Wallstadt. I mean, like whenever he gets healthy. Um, you know, Beckman's out, out, Sweeney's out, Kara's out. There's like, no, you know, Stephen Fogarty is about uh, the only really NHL, you know, deserving, not deserving is the wrong word, NHL caliber forward down there that you, you could probably see next up. Um, Katie Banker. I mean, there's just not a lot there anymore. Um, the problem is also is that they're in an LTI situation where none of these guys are expected to be long, long, long term. So Brodine's the only guy on LTI. He's going to eventually come back in the lineup. So you can't even pick up a guy on waivers or maybe make a trade for for you know an NHL body because then when these guys get healthy, you're going to have to immediately get rid of them when Brodine gets healthy. Um, assuming none of these other guys are in LTIR. Yeah, so there's really think, not much they could do to even just get an NHL caliber body in here to maybe send some of these minor leaguers back to Iowa. Yeah, although I, the guys you mentioned, a waiver claim or something, those are guys you could claim and then put back on waivers. throw back on waivers. Yeah. There's a reason why they're on waivers in the first place. And I could see them doing something like that, but the problem is that the, the guy who's going to be out the longest is on defense and you probably technically still have the most depth there because even with Spurgeon going down, Hunt and Merrill are both NHL, at least prepared to play NHL hockey defensemen, where they're 
just crippled right now is up front with the forwards. And we saw it in the Calgary game. They really only had one line that could generate consistently. I felt badly for Marco Rossi because I thought his game was decent, but he just wasn't playing with the guys that had been so good. That line of Rossi, Johansson, and Hartman had been good together for a couple of games, and all of a sudden they lost Johansson because they moved him up to the top group. This is just a team right now that – they're going to have to find a way to win two to one, three to two games for a, an extended period of time here with the guys they're missing. Yeah, with Mark Andre Fleury and Net. Um, so, man, uh, absolutely, <laughs> I've I've never seen anything like it. And I I covered a Panthers team that I think had 350 man games lost to injury once, but it just uh, you know they obviously at that time didn't have the talent. Yeah, that this the, team those has. man games lost the injury stats. I never use them, and we've talked about it a couple times. We're going to find a way to try to quantify this for tomorrow night's show for the game against the Lightning, just because it is such a story. But you know how those man games work. Yeah, you get yeah. a guy who was missed eighty-two in, games because our yeah. gets injured in training camp and counts as eighty-two games against you. Yeah, I'm yeah. just using him yeah, as an yeah. example, and there's no way to quantify what the caliber of player is that's out. You're talking about the guys who have been the top two scorers on this team, the best two defensemen on the team, the starting goaltender. No team could weather that storm. Yeah, you add the 14.7 million in dead cap hit and now all these salaries out of the lineup. I mean, it's it's really unbelievable. Um, And we'll also uh, quantify that uh, in in the athletic on um, what day is tomorrow, Thursday. There you go. Um, let's talk about Ryan Hartman. Uh, man, did uh, Winnipeg uh, make a, uh, a very known that he was caught on tape, uh, a mic'd up player. You can say that uh, Cole Perfetti was wearing a wire. <laughs> um, and apparently, so he high sticks him off the draw. I don't think any of us saw it live. It wasn't a penalty. Um, he's not trying to lift the guy's stick it's very clear that he takes his shaft of his stick and puts it right into the kid's mouth. Um, Then he comes back in the game after getting a couple stitches, and Hartman uh, allegedly goes up to him, and it's caught on tape and says, uh, I did that as payback, no offense, for Dylan doing that to Kaprizov. We know this stuff happens in the NHL. Very rarely does a player just admit it, and very rarely does a player admit it with a guy's wearing a wire, um, and the Wild I, know that he's wearing a wire. That's one that, thing. That's that, the one thing. Like, if you, like I learned that actually in the playoffs last year, because if, when we would go into Dallas's room or Minnesota's room, it would say what players on the other team would wear uh, uh, a microphone, and it was essentially a warning to their players, like don't say anything stupid in front of these guys because somebody could potentially hear it. Not just the league, even though the league technically is not allowed to use that stuff uh, for future discipline. But, you know, you never know. We've seen this before where stuff have been caught on tape or they found goals later in the in a truck and all of a sudden it's released. I mean, there have been hot mics that we've seen with uh, Chris Berman and, you know, Bill O'Reilly that a later a disgruntled employee put out for everybody to hear. So it's in other words, it's a warning. And yet Ryan either forgot the warning or didn't care, said this out loud. And then um, Winnipeg, who... Um, you know, is it was upset about it, obviously, then voices that Rick Bonus and Cole Parfetti makes it uh, available for the world to hear. They haven't made the audio, but I don't, uh, you know, if Rick Bonus says it's happened, I believe it happened. And, and you take in, you know, at this point, I don't know if Ryan Hartman's uh, is, is getting the benefit of the doubt on this stuff. What, what do you make of this whole situation on uh, Ryan um, allegedly putting the shaft of his stick 
hard, viciously into a kid that's Marco Rossi's age's mouth when he had nothing to do with Brendan Dillon going after Kirill Kaprizov. I mean, it's it's sort of old school. That's the yeah. way it would be done years ago. You well, go after my best guy, I'm going right. after one of and your best guys. But Same way it used to be policed in baseball. You hit our center fielder, we're going to drill your center fielder. Mm-hmm. You hit our leadoff guy, we're going to hit your leadoff guy. And messages are sent like that. This one surprised me because I didn't catch it live. I didn't see yeah, it I live. See it and either. it surprised me a little bit just because of how dangerous a stick in the face area can be. And with the, I saw the video and it was a, it was a bad play by Hartman. There's no question about it. There's, there are different ways to send a message and that one, I just don't think you can do that. That's, there's no place in the game for that. You're throwing your stick up into a guy's face. If he moves his face in a surprising way and all of a sudden your stick catches him in the eye or the teeth or what, I mean, that's, yeah, that, that's potentially not just career changing, but could be life changing. And a guy with a major amount of injuries so far in his career. Like it's just, it's, it's not a respectful thing to do. There's a better way to send the message. And I get Hartman's motivation behind it, but it, it really was, every aspect of it was surprising. And I've never seen a guy do it in that manner like on a face-off yeah just throw a stick up into he a guy's sh- he face he sure made it look re- like he it did. was an accident right I mean, when you when and you that's watch what the Ryan video does well is he's sneaky in the way that he sometimes goes over the edge and um you know you see him all the time how many times does he get into a scrum by the bench and he's holding a guy's stick or right. you know it, ha- it it's the way that he plays the game um what is what he needs to understand is that he's lucky he didn't get suspended because the league is keeping their eye on him. And even though the league technically um, under the agreement to Mike players in 2005 um, reportedly can't use this stuff against you, it's not reportedly the league has confirmed that um, doesn't mean that they're not going to remember this for his next little transgression. And after getting suspended now twice since April, um, including, you know, back in November, um, he has just got to be squeaky clean right now because I think the next little transgression, he is going to get invited for a big-time whopping suspension. Yeah, I agree, and I know that they said that they can't use this audio, but it's like saying something in front of a jury and then having the judge say disregard that remark. They all – you can't unhear it. Yeah. So, it, it, yeah, I, this is – he's this, always blurred the line, mm-hmm. and that's part of what makes him the valuable player that he is <laughs> – but these are the kind of things that you just, especially once you've been disciplined the way he has, you just can't put yourself in that spot. Three suspensions, seven fines, even I'm guarantee a couple warnings in there. Um, let's go to the Brendan Dillon on uh, Kirill Kaprizov thing. Um, you know, yes, it's a battle that happens a lot in hockey. We see guys get cross-checked. That's just sometimes the way that, that the game is played. In this instance, it's very clear that he is upset because on a unbelievable reverse hit by Kirill Kaprizov where he had the puck, so it wasn't a penalty. He was upset. He gets up, he cross-checks him, he slashes him, and then he cross-checks him again, the last one in an area where he, uh, you know, intended or didn't intend, uh, got around the padding um, and clearly did something to this guy's ribs or something. Um, You know... Pierre Lambert, the referee, is standing right there. Not that that, if he calls a two-minute minor there, it takes away the injury to Kaprizov. But we've talked about this a lot. I, I've never – it just feels like the NHL – I mean, I guess – I mean, all players should be treated equally. But 
Minnesota Wild players don't spend three hundred dollars to sit along the glass and watch freaking Jake Lucchini and Nick Patan. Um, they watch to play Kirill Kaprizov, and this league has continually shown with this player specifically that they don't care about protecting him because referees make him battle for absolutely everything and battle through unbelievably illegal stuff and never call it ever. Yeah, that's all true. And I think first and foremost, the league keeps talking about that they, they want to showcase their stars. They want more scoring. Well, you could eliminate some of this crap in a heartbeat and why you want to protect Brendan Dillon instead of Kirill Kaprizov, which is what you're doing. You're saying we'd rather have the game be inclusive of Brendan Dillon and allow him to cross-check a guy illegally because, we, by God, we don't want to penalize that. That's a part of the game, as opposed to knocking a star out for a couple of weeks. Evander Kane, we'd rather see that clown in the league riding Jonas Brodeen into the wall with a careless, senseless hit than, a, than see Jonas Brodeen play? That doesn't make any sense to me. So there's that. The second part with the Wild, I think, is interesting. And they've earned the reputation. I don't want to – they're not – they shouldn't be absolved of guilt here. They've been a team that has not been very disciplined. I'm not going to say they've been dirty, but they've been one of the least disciplined teams in the league over the last couple of years. And I think that's hurt them in all these spots. And I think it's from – verbally getting after officials to players that just have not been able to toe that line. We And now you've heard coaches come out and say it. You heard Dallas deal with that in the playoffs. You heard Winnipeg say the same thing, that mm-hmm. if they're going to play that way, we got to make them pay on the power play. And coaches now are coming in saying it. And again, go back to you can't unhear things. Referees hear that too. Absolutely. So you can bet they're coming in with one thought in the back of their mind, at least somewhere back there, is that the Wild are the dirty team, and I'm not going to give them the benefit of the doubt when this guy delivers this cross-check. And I I wish officials could separate it, because the the Kaprizov one is another example of when you watch those, these guys are, they're eight feet away watching it happen. He cross-checks them in the middle of the back, doesn't get the result he wants, so he cross-checks them again, and sees Kaprizov crumple like a folding chair. Yeah. Well, how do you not call a penalty? I mean, what yeah. goes through your mind that says, "Yep, that's okay. I, that's that was fine. That's part of hockey." It's illegal. Yep. He had two hands on his stick and used it to check an opponent. That's a penalty. Yeah. Um, how do you think Kaprizov himself protects himself now when he comes back? Because this is not the league that was years ago where you have all these goons out there, Marty McSorley, Gino Ojek, people like that. This is, this is, there are no policemen anymore. Um, so it almost feels like it's up to him. And, you know, I, I said this on Twitter and I wasn't even being tongue in cheek that maybe he needs to take a page out of Pavel Bure's book. When I covered Pavel Bure, within five minutes of every game, if a nasty mean defenseman like Darian Hatcher came near him or Rob Blake or, um, whomever, uh, Darius Kasparitis, two-handed him right across the wrist, right across the back of the leg, gave him a lot more. Now, you might get called every now and then, and you might have to kill that penalty, but what it did for Burray the later in the game is that it gave him a lot more space because p- 
players knew that he used that stick, not just for scoring 58, 59, 60 goals, but for absolutely using it as, as I don't want to say a weapon, but a, as a mechanism like, you know what? You're not going to take liberties on me. It was a different game back then. You were allowed to take liberties on players. You can't so much as anymore. But it almost feels like we've seen him now get hurt three times in his NHL career on, on, on interesting plays where players are going after him. Trent Frederick, Logan Stanley, and now Brennan Dillon. It just feels like if he's going to continually get hurt in this mechanism, that at some point he might have to be, you know what, this is the way I'm going to buy space for myself. Yeah, and I don't know if I, – I hope he doesn't change the kind of player he is. He shouldn't. The this is he's got to be protected by the league, and I think this is one of the uh, topics that's got to be discussed in the off season. It's always got to be driven by the general managers. They've got to be the ones going in there and saying, "This is how we want to see this changed." I mean, the, the bottom line is that if the management from each of the teams, the board of governors, the general managers, they're the ones that dictate to the officials how they want the game to be called. Then the, they're the ones that can change the rules. They're the ones that can that can make those kind of moves, and that's where it's got to start. I don't know if that'll happen or not, but I hope it doesn't change the kind of player Kaprizov is. Uh, February twentieth is the next uh, game in uh, in Winnipeg. Uh, I think Bally uh, Sports North will get really good ratings for that game. Um, we, by the way, we're coming to you from the Aquarius Home Services studio on location. Uh, our next live show is January 16th at Tuttle's. Uh, get there early by dinner. Get a pint of uh, grain belt. You get to keep the pint glass that it comes in, which is the worst seats in the house. Uh, pint glass, don't worry, it doesn't have our faces on it, so you you can uh, drink it without thinking, without vomiting or something like that. Uh, again, January 16th, our next live show, and that's at Tuttle's. Did I say Split Rocks? I think I I can't remember. January 16th is at Tuttle's. January 22nd is our next live show at Split Rocks. We'll also have two shows in February that are live. But again, January 16th at Tuttle's. January uh, 22nd at Split Rocks. Well, thanks to our newest sponsor, Huxley Optical. Huxley is more than just the official glasses shop of Brock Faber. They're a local small business that makes glasses for the whole family. If you need prescription sunwear, gaming, or office lenses, Huxley can help. They'll even put new lenses in your own frames. Huxley's experienced staff knows what looks best on you and is happy to help you find a pair you love. Huxley is so good at what they do. They've even picked out a pair of glasses for me. It fits, it looks stylish, and it is so, so easy. Huxley makes shopping for glasses easy. The folks at Huxley know what they're doing, whether you need glasses for your computer, sports, sunglasses, or an everyday pair. Huxley can help you find something you love and save you money in the process. In fact, Huxley Optical is here to help you get more from your HSA and FSA flex spending accounts. Find more today at HuxleyOptical.com or go to their Roseville or Wyzetta locations. Hey, hockey fans. Jerry Bosch here again from Bosch Law Firm and WorkCompExperts.com. If you're injured at work, it's never too soon to contact the lawyers and awesome staff at Bosch Law Firm. We'll answer all your questions, help you set up your work comp claim, and help you select professionals who will be there to help you, not the insurance company. And with almost 30 years of litigation experience, if your benefits are denied, we'll fight to get you paid. Bosch Law Firm. The call's always free and there's never a fee unless we obtain benefits on your behalf. Call or text us at 651-333-8300 or visit us at workcompexperts.com. 
Hey there, Aquarius Home Services is geared up to make your new year absolutely fantastic. Are you ready to transform your water experience in 2024? Just imagine turning on your faucet and excitedly declaring, I love my water. It's like Lepanta when he opens a, a, a bottle of wine. I love my wine. Uh, something like that. Uh, enjoy worry-free water right now. <laughs> and guess what? You won't have to pay a penny until 2025. Say goodbye to spotty dishes, revel in softer hair and skin, and wave for farewell to annoying white-scale buildups and rust stains. With Kinetico, the world's most efficient water treatment system, you'll get purified drinking water directly from your own faucet, all without the need for electricity. And trust us, you'll be amazed at how little salt you'll need. As your local authorized Kinetico dealer, they are committed to treating you, your home, and your time with the utmost respect. Don't miss out on worry-free water. Act fast. Financing offers are subject to credit approval. Aquarius believes in earning the right to re be recommended. They're just a click away at AquariusHomeServices.com. And don't forget to mention that Russo sent you. Back here, worst seats in the house, Michael Russo, Anthony Panther, January 16th at Tuttles, January 22nd at uh, Split Rock. Oh, shows 7 p.m. are our next live shows. Um, so what do you think, Anthony, coming up here? Uh, big, big, tough schedule. Um, now Damon Hunt's recalled. Um, we're going to see Wallstead at some point in the near future make his NHL debut. Um, Flurry's still trying to chase down Flurry, uh, chase down Patrick Waugh. Um, this is going to be a hard month. It explains why Marcus Foligno basically said after the game the other night, we just got to get to the All-Star break. Need a break, yep. for sure. And I think this is the time when you lean on structure. John Hines has really preached that, and we'll have to see. I, the last two games are games where they played well enough to win, played with enough structure, enough energy, enough there was enough effort, but the bottom line is it wasn't enough to win either one of the games. Mm -hmm. And a big reason why was just that they couldn't score. 3-2 against Winnipeg and then essentially 2-1 against Calgary before the empty net goal. They're going to have to just find a way. And there's, there isn't another solution out there. No. So it's find a way. And all of these guys that have been talked about as the depth players and Guys who feel hungry in Iowa, well, here's your chance. And there have been flashes from guys like Patan and Lucini that, all right, well, there were the guy made a play, had showed some zip. They've got to produce. But now you got to produce. Yeah. Like, and, it's just not good enough. I mean, that's what it comes down to. But that's what I'm saying about and, the whole and, team is, so the structure allows them to stay in yep. these games. But now you got to find a way to win. Yeah. And that's if you don't, then it doesn't matter when the guys come back. And I don't know about you, but... Off the top of my head in the last couple of years, I can't remember an Iowa player that came up and actually scored some big goals. I mean, scored at all. Uh, I mean, Walker didn't score. Uh, no, but most of the guys that have come up lately have been kind of the veteran right. fill-in guys. The the guys that have been but the we've prospects. Seen, I'm just saying, yeah, we've seen Patan before. Like, right, that's at what some I mean, point, these I kind of look at him as like a veteran right, fill-in guy. But then you got to score. Right, so <laughs> like, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And the guys, the prospect guys that have come up, and to call them, they're not really the guys who have been tabbed as prospects, but develop, guys you've developed are the guys like Beckman and Walker, and those guys, they haven't, they haven't really done anything to push the needle when they've been with the yeah. Minnesota Wild. And the big guy that was Boldy. Boldy came up and he right. scored and, in his NHL debut. And was and expected just, to. Yep. And Rossi has been great too. So I, I don't want to say like they haven't developed anybody, but it's all these other depth guys, the middle of the draft guys that, and I don't know, you'd have to really look around the league and 
I don't know how many teams would say, yep, we've had a whole pile of these middle-of-the-draft guys come up and help us. I, I, that just doesn't happen very often. And the Wild are just in a spot where they're relying on three or four or five of them every night. If you look at their 12 forwards, I mean, really, if you throw in the, the fourth-line guys, Dewar and Duhame, they're probably in that kind of that same boat. They're really good NHL hockey players, but they're not guys that are going to help carry an offense. And that's where you are right now. You're, you've got a fourth line and then you've got maybe what you'd tab a fourth line or a minor league guy on the two lines above them. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be a, it's going to be tough. There's, there's no two ways to look at it. And the schedule isn't easy with, with some of the stuff they've got coming up. Tampa's going to be a handful on Thursday after the Columbus trip, you got a game with Dallas. You've got a trip to Florida where you're going to see Florida, Tampa, and Carolina. I mean, this is... They have a couple games with Dallas. Yeah, this is not an easy stretch in the schedule. No, not at all. Um, let's talk about uh, the PWHL team. They're making their debut tonight in Boston. Uh, on Saturday afternoon at 2.30, they're making their uh, home debut at XL Energy Center. 7,000 tickets around there had been sold as of this morning. Uh, the professional record for women's hockey was 83-18 last night in Ottawa. Uh, so the uh, professional team here in Minnesota is going to be trying to break that record at XL Energy Center on Saturday afternoon. Um, Ken Klee is coaching. Natalie Darwitz is managing. Obviously, they got a bunch of great, great players, had the number one pick in the draft, all that stuff. Um, the PWHL announced the other day some uh, some they, the last thing that they sort of like put out there for all of us to see is their rule book. And they have some differences uh, that they're going to be uh, using in that league. And uh, it got me wondering if we could ever see some of these in the uh, NHL. And the one that has a lot of people excited is something that we've talked on this podcast before, and that's their point system. Three points for regulation win. Two points for a uh, overtime win or loss, one for an overtime win or uh, sorry, two points for an overtime or shootout win, one point for an overtime or shootout loss, and uh, by the way, they're using five shooters in the shootout, and then uh, zero points if you don't get a uh, regulation, uh, if you get a regulation loss. What do you think of that point system, and would you like to see that in the NHL? Well, I'd like to see the NHL change their system, and I think if you're going to keep the shootout in the game. The shootout wins should not count the same as a regular win. I'm fine with an overtime win counting the same as a regulation win because you're still playing hockey. A shootout win should not count the same. And so for me, now a couple, I will say this, a couple of years ago I went through and I would looked at like the last, at that time, two or three seasons to see how much the standings would have changed if you went to the three-point system. And the changes would have been very moderate. It was like the seven seed became a six seed or something like that. Maybe there was the nine would have made the playoffs instead of the eight. It wasn't, it wasn't like, wow, look at how much these yeah. standings change. All of a sudden a division champ is a wild card or anything like that. The but only I, thing though, I'd if like you to if, see it change, yeah. if I had my way, I would just say you win or you lose. And that's it. Period. Eliminate the shootout, play overtime, extend it to 10 minutes if you have to. And you either win or you lose. Play till there's a winner or a loser if you don't want to have ties, which is why the shootout came into play in the first place because they didn't want fans leaving after a tie. Every other sport does it that way. Football, if you lose in overtime, it's still a loss. Yeah. Baseball, if you lose in extra innings, it's still a the loss. The problem is you can't have ex- ex- you know indefinite overtime. But play for 10 minutes and then call it a tie. Yeah, and, that'll but, never happen. I, but I also yeah. think that if you go 10 minutes of a shootout, how many games are going to end without a goal? I just don't think it's going to happen very often. Yeah. 
And right now they're already only at, I guess I haven't looked lately, but earlier this season I looked and it was only like 20% of overtime games were going to a shootout. So I'm assuming it's in that same neighborhood. If 80% of them are ending in five minutes, the other 20 would have to end in the next five almost every night. But just look at every other sport. This is the only one where they feel the need to reward somebody just for getting into overtime. Yeah. Basketball, you lose in overtime, it's a loss. Yeah. Well, the other big thing is that it's the only sport in the world where every game is not worth the same. I mean, right. you know, like I know. some, I mean, it's just that, that that's, is what's, but that's, that's why it's because every other sport just you know, calls yeah. it a loss. And, you know, but I guess my point is, is that how absurd it is that, you know, this game that we're watching on TV right now could be a two point game, but tonight's game might be a three point game. And the only thing that I do like about the three points and regulation wins is I think it would create some interesting scenarios late in the season. If you're a team chasing and you're playing a team right ahead of you you know, the, the risks that you might take at the end yeah. of those regulation. And, and it might not it, just be right. the last couple of games of the season. It could be, you yeah. know, if, you, if you're chasing Nashville right in front of you and the wild are playing them at game 76, you know, you might right. have to. Um, and I, that, so that's when I looked at the change of how the standings would move, that was all done retroactively, obviously. So mm-hmm. that you don't know for sure if it would change the strategy of the teams, but I'd really like to see it get to that. I'm so sick and tired of people telling me that 16, 16 and four is 500. It's not. Mm-hmm. You've won 16 games. You've lost 20. Yeah. If you want to say that that's 500, well then take the wins that were in the overtime or shootout and shove those in a different column. Right. And it just, it isn't, it isn't yeah. 500. The only thing is like, I've, I've gotten in this debate a bunch of times. I mean, the reality is in, in hockey, 500 is based on points percentage, not win percentage. So, right. you know, that is fi- 50% well, it, of your points it available is, but that you got. given away more than 50% right. of the points to the opponent. Yeah. So by definition, you have lost ground in the standings in your games. Right. If you sit at 500, your opponents have a 550 winning percent or points percentage. So that means that you're not you're not playing even. 500 in any other sport means you've won as many as you've lost. Mm-hmm. In hockey it doesn't. Yeah. And when you look at it, I don't know what it is right now, but most years you'll look and there'll be 24 of the 32 teams have a 500 points percentage. Right. Well, that by definition yeah. means you're not a 500 yeah. team. As long as Gary Bettman's the uh, commissioner of this league, it'll which never is, yeah, yeah, it'll never. And the, I mean, I don't think he's the commissioner. I mean, I could see him retiring within the next no, the five only years. Thing that, but that I will say about yeah. the four point, the the four different breakdowns, the three point system, is it makes the standings confusing as hell to look at. It. Right. You go look at the W or the Big Ten hockey standings. I can't. I don't know what the hell any of it means. Right. You got wins, losses, overtime wins, losses, and then shootout yeah. losses. And then their or shootouts really the, don't mean anything right. anyway. And the um, points for the standings, yeah. you look at like I don't even know what has to happen for them to catch somebody. Yeah, I agree with you. You know, and again, the reason why it's never going to happen is is because they like to keep everybody jam packed, going right. thinking that they have a but chance. That to would win happen, playoffs. I think, even with the three point yep. games. I don't think that would create much more separation. Again, looking at it in hindsight, it didn't. It seems like it should and be a more fair way. Right. But I would but just right. love to it's see very it, little things. at the very least, if you but you'd have to make the other change to the overtime that I heard him talk about earlier this year about the implementing the basketball version back rule. And because if you just said all right, regulation and overtime wins count the same yeah. and shootouts are different. Teams would just hang on to the puck for five minutes and play keep yeah. away and I you'd have, never see a scoring I chance. Have, I am such a proponent on that. I wasn't until about 
month and a half ago. I mean, it is it's hard to watch all these overtime games now. Yeah, p- um, with the way people just regroup yeah. at center, it's not as exciting as it was early, where it was yeah. just chance, 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 yeah. chance. And when you get one that's like that, it's unbelievable. Yeah. And we saw a couple of them. The Wild had a couple of them right around the holidays where those overtimes included some excitement going back and forth. And mm-hmm. you could create that, but there are a lot of details that have to be worked out. Like what if the guy comes back out of the zone, what happens? Do you just have to throw the puck to the opponent? Yeah, my it, guess is, is that a, they would blow the whistle and treat it like an icing where you can't change and it's an offensive zone draw. Maybe. Yeah. I'd love to see it be blow the whistle and just give the team the other puck the, the, te- <laughs> the puck to the other team and say, let's go. Yeah. Because if it's just a face-off, if I'm pinched at the line, I'm just going to come yeah. out of the zone and commit the backcourt violation. But if I know that the puck goes to them, now I might think twice about it. Absolutely. Um, how about shorthanded goals uh, ending a power play? That's something that they're doing, which is an interesting wrinkle. Yeah, it's interesting. I'm not necessarily in favor of that one. I'm not in favor of any r- rule that rewards the team that took the penalty. Mm-hmm. So I loved, back when I was covering gopher hockey, I don't remember what years they were, there, the college game had a rule where if you scored during the delayed penalty period, you still got the power play that followed. If you scored on the power play... The team got to play five on five, but the guy had to stay in the penalty box for the remainder of his two minutes, which I like both of those rules. The NHL might be a little tough to do the second part of that just because there are fewer whistles, so there's more puck possession. You might end up with a guy in there for six minutes, and you don't want to see that. But I like the fact that if you score on the delayed penalty, that you still get the power play. I kind of like that idea. What I would like to see the NHL change is to take away the ability to ice the puck when shorthanded. Mm -hmm. Why you allow this team to just throw the puck out of the zone instead of having to make a hockey play, make it so they can't ice the puck. They got to carry it to the red line. Make it so that shorthanded team has the disadvantage. They got to carry it down. If they ice it, they can't change. They got to keep the same four killers on the ice. All of this is done to try to generate more excitement, more exciting plays in a higher-skilled game. That would do it because now you can't just grab a puck and chuck at the length of the ice. you got to try and make a play. Yeah. Make the guys play four against five, not play by different rules four against five. Makes sense. Um, what do you think of getting rid of the trapezoid? I, I don't think that would ever fly in in the NHL. I mean, that, like I, I covered those games between like Florida and Jersey, and that was brutal Like to watch Marty Brodeur end and uh, four checks. The only difference with today's game is that that was more of a dump and chase league. So mm-hmm. the trapezoid was, you know, really stopped that. Now teams, including the wild, skate the puck in a lot more. Yeah. Um, but I, I just don't like it. It's been so long since watching goalies play it. I really, I I don't, it's hard to even imagine yeah. how many when times. When I covered Brodeur, those jersey games, I, you know, if a team dumped the puck, Brodeur would come out and play it. The defenseman wouldn't even go back. Guys like Niedermar and Stevens would peel off right to the half walls and just wait for the outlet because because Brodeur just was a third D back right. there. And, and, uh, and I'm I, to think I, about so I, am, I, I am one guy that I would never want yeah, to see that guy. I like the way it is yeah. right now, but think I'm trying to think of like the number of plays where you watch a goalie wait in the trapezoid to play the puck, where he could have just gone and gotten it quicker. It doesn't seem like there's a ton of them, but maybe that's just because teams are dumping pucks in differently. I don't know. Yeah. Uh, Tell us about Twill. Well, it's a great place to go. Even now the holiday season is over, it's a great time to go check it out. Now it's time to once again start getting prepared for what's ahead, and that's the travel season. You've got the golf season coming up. It's a great spot for all kinds of menswear, not just formal wear, not just suits and ties, but more 
sweaters. I just picked up a great quarter zip sweater there that I'm anxious to. Maybe I'll take it with me to Columbus on the trip. Are you on the Columbus trip? Yeah, I am. All right. Well, I'll wear a new sweater. I picked up Peter Millar sweater from Twill. You'll be impressed at dinner. Awesome. I can't wait. Check it out. It's Twill at the Galleria in Edina. Well, if you're going to have a meal at home, Kowalski's is the place to go to pick up your best ingredients. Don't forget to stop at the flour counter on your way out. That makes everybody home when you get home. I happen to forget that today. But when we get done with this podcast, we're going to enjoy some ribeyes. Best place to pick those up, the Akaushi or their USDA Prime version. We had some great fillets, I think, the last time you were here. So it'll be steak night tonight as soon as this show's over. Best place to go if you're looking for a perfect meal at home, entertaining with special guests. you got to have the best ingredients. Go to Kowalski's. All right, back here, Worst Seats in the House, Michael Russo, Anthony LaPanta. Uh, January 16th is our next live show at Tuttle's. January 22nd is our next live show at Split Rocks. Uh, let's go to Twitter questions, unless we want to try to uh, FaceTime Vinny and Michael from last week. Uh, what do you... <laughs> Those guys were excited about it. They, we were, they good, were good. We got some good feedback yeah. about it. Some of their friends weighed in that they thought they did a good job, said they thought they could have challenged us a little bit more. So we'll see on their next appearance. We might have to be on our toes. Yeah. Uh, when I was leaving your house a couple days later, uh, John Waters was next door, Michael's older brother. And uh, he all of a sudden I hear this like voice as he was like shoveling the driveway, he's like, I heard I took some shots on the podcast last week. So, uh, so people have heard us take some shots of Michael's brother. All right. Bruce Siski asks, uh, where do you want the NHL to send the wild on their 10 day ish post Christmas road trip to accommodate the world juniors in Minnesota in 2026? We haven't talked about that. I reported today and it's something that I've been deal- uh, uh, working on the last couple days is that, um, is that the wild uh, have been awarded, uh, the 2026 World Juniors. I shouldn't say the Wild. Uh, also, uh, uh, Minneapolis and Visit St. Paul as well. Uh, they uh, uh, have put together uh, a winning bid. Um, there have been so many people that have been integral about this bid from the Wild and University of Minnesota to obviously uh, Minnesota and uh, sports events and, um, and Visit St. Paul. Lou Nanny went to the legislature for a couple of days and gave, gave all the reasons why they needed to contribute to this. Um, it's going to be fun, uh, really fun in 2026 to watch the best of the best here and also, you know, be the center of worldwide coverage for the state of uh, uh, for the sport. I mean, you look, think about World Juniors in Canada and, and the ratings that it gets and the amount of people that watch this. It's going to be a really fun time here in Minnesota, I think the key is, is that it just can't be USA and Canada getting all the attendance. It's got to be those, you know, days when Latvia plays Germany or whatever. That's where I think Buffalo was a huge disappointment that the the state of hockey has got to figure out a way to to, uh, fill those seats. Yeah, I agree. And if you watch the tournament just about everywhere it is, that's an issue. Yeah. Yeah, it's not just... The United States. We've no. seen that in Sweden, this whole we tournament. Have. And when Sweden was playing or Canada was playing, the U.S. to some degree, Finland, they'll draw, but there are teams that just don't. And it's too bad because it's good hockey, and the games even between some of the other teams have been really entertaining. It's a great tournament to watch. I hope that Minnesota embraces it. I think Minnesota's got a enough knowledge of the tournament. you got to believe Canada would – travel well to bring fans down here it's such a huge tournament north of the border i'd be optimistic about it but somehow you got to figure out a way to make those other games 
And that's been a challenge for you name the tournament that's here, whether it be the when the old WCHA Final Five was here and it was one of the greatest atmospheres in downtown St. Paul every year. But if you wound up with a final that was Denver and Colorado College, it wasn't the same. As long as Minnesota, St. Cloud, North Dakota, Duluth, any of those teams were in it, the place was bonkers. And I think you'd have kind of the same thing here, where if it's when you get the U.S. playing against Sweden or Finland or Canada involved, and maybe Russia will be back in the tournament by then, who knows? You get those teams playing, and it's really exciting. Yeah, I think 05 was the last time. Uh, 04 was when the World Cup, and we're in some games here in Minnesota, if I remember correctly, right before the lockout. Because I think Finland, that was like the first time that Wild fans got a look at Miko Koivu was before he even uh, was a player for them. Yeah, and the, um, and the World Junior thing, it's been, it's it, there's just such a separation, and that's why the fans are different. Mm-hmm. The, there's only been a few teams, the last 11 have been won by either Canada, the U.S., or Finland. The last time anybody else won it was when the Swedes yeah. won it with Jonas Brodin. And that tells you how long ago it's been since any one of those big three didn't win the tournament. And... So I, you got to believe that you'd have some games that would have major hooks like that. And I think now, if you're in an NHL market, too, you get enough people that are aware of where prospects are playing on other teams. And so I, I think Minnesota would have a chance to be a good U.S. host. It just hasn't had great luck in the U.S. lately. Yeah, uh, maybe, I mean, maybe by then uh, the Russian-Ukraine conflict will be over and we'll see... Uh, Russia back in it you know it's it's like next year they're gonna do this makeshift World Cup with four teams because they can't have multi- more than that because just not having Russia in it uh, essentially is you know keeping everything uneven they're not gonna have Switzerland or Germany so they're gonna have this like four team World Cup of like Finland Sweden United States and Canada I mean it'll be fun but it's still not the real World Cup so uh, hopefully uh, all that uh, gets rectified. Uh, for many, many myriad reasons. Um, let's continue with Twitter questions. Uh, Tyler goes, we all know Brent Burns, the wild player alum, most likely is the most likely to own a bear, but who's most likely to fight and win versus a bear? There's an interesting question, Anthony. I would go Brent Burns there too. Uh, maybe Owen Nolan. Uh, Clayton Stoner, actually, uh, Cl- probably Clayton Stoner. Clayton, um, when he played for the Wild, uh, there was some controversy because he actually went hunting and I think killed a grizzly. Um, some, those probably the ones yeah, that pop in my head. Yeah, those are the only ones that top. Brent Burns could beat the crap head. out of a bear. I'm trying to remember who was the story we just heard about a guy that fought a bear. Somebody told you and I the story about it, and I'm drawing a blank on who it was and that they had fought a bear. And that then he had a friend who did it too. I'll have to, we'll have to think about that for the next. <laughs> was I show. drunk during this? Because I have it no memory have of it. Somebody just told us about this. What? No, it wasn't at Culp's. She thinks it was at Culp's barbershop. No, they. <laughs> we argue. We we argue about more important stuff at the barbershop. Yeah, like the what would hurt more, being hit by a bus or a taxi? Yeah, that we, well, yeah, that was actually the argument between Chad Graff, Mike Greenlay, and I, and then. At Copes, it was where we met a guy who had been hit by an Uber driver and a bus. So, and the Uber so driver you, was driving us. What do you say? Uh, was, well, was he said the hurt, bus. The, 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 the bus, bus said to the hurt. hospital, the Uber <laughs> thing, he just landed in the guy's front yard. Yeah. Which Wait, was, didn't, uh, didn't you go to your physics major son to ask the actual yes, answer? Yes, I did. And I forget, it's force equals mass times velocity, I think, is what it was. I can't remember the exact equation, but... and. Uh, 
You stand on a street and a bus comes whizzing by, and that was where the conversation started because it was, holy cow, it would hurt to get hit by a bus. When a cab comes by, you don't feel the same thing. And Greener's argument was always that it would hit you. He, I think he was arguing just because he argued, no matter, I could have said that the, the bus was bigger than the cab, and he would have argued with me that in some countries cabs were bigger. I don't know. But the, he, his argument was that the cab would hit you in the legs, and then you'd fly up and hit the windshield. And I was like, but you'd be like a bug on a windshield if a bus hit you. And so the physics law said that the bus would hurt more. And now we, we got actual resolution from a guy at Copes who also happened to hit him. No, but the same guy also ripped part of his ear off backing out of his garage because he was backing out with his door open and the door like hit the side of the garage. So I'm not saying this guy was the brightest guy I've ever talked to, but Hopefully he, has, this fact, podcast. he has in fact been hit by an Uber, a bus, and then almost tore his own ear off driving yeah. out of his garage. All right, Tyler, good job. You absolutely took the podcast off the rails, but yeah. that might've been the most entertaining part of the podcast. Uh, try the ribs plotting pucks ass. If Wallstack gets healthy and Gus is still out, they have alluded he would will be cons- uh, considered to be a call-up. Would they at least give him a couple tune-up games in the AHL first? I would think so. I mean, that that is the plan. Um, the, the big hope is that you don't, um, you know, that he doesn't hurry back from an injury that's not completely healthy just because he wants to get to the NHL. So uh, they got to be careful with him. I agree. Give him a couple games. Uh, General Soreness asks, uh, Billy has been laying low since the O'Hearn and Whitey situation. When is he going to emerge from his bunker? Um, I actually just talked to him on the phone. He's doing the fan tomorrow. I mean, he's been at every game, every practice. He just has been, as you said, uh, sort of laying low since that whole thing. But in terms of actually talking about the team and things like that, things that he uh, can talk about, um, he's able to talk about. But some things are obviously wrapped up in, in that, you know, uh, HR matters. Um, let's see. Tommy Kroll asks, any chance for an outdoor prelim game? For the out world juniors, um, I don't know all the uh, all the ins and outs yet. I mean, there has been talk about maybe putting a game in Duluth in St. Cloud, things like that. Uh, we'll see what they do. Um, obviously, in the world juniors, things are played in in many many uh, venues. KKCS have all works out with Yurov, Ogren, and Murad. Uh, are they expected to be on uh, the team when twenty twenty five when the cap opens? And we've re-signed Brock and Kirill. <laughs> and uh, anyway, the. It's hard to envision. I mean, we got to see these guys, right, Anthony? I mean, we, right now, as much as we've seen Ogren at development camps, Europe at development camps, we've never even seen Murat Huzadinov. Um, you know, these are still figments of our imagination. It doesn't right. matter how good they and are. You have overseas. to see them yeah. with the yeah. other guys to so, have really any idea. I think all you can say is that right now, among other players at their levels, among other prospects around the hockey world, they're doing exactly what they're supposed to do. Mm-hmm. And Wallstead would fall into that same category where everybody talked about him being as sure a bet as a goalie prospect could be. All that might be true. You still have to see it in the NHL. So right now, just sit back and say, yep, they're on the right track. They're making all the right steps. The fact that Ogren's a captain in the World Juniors is a great sign, but you still have to see it here before you start getting too far at least when it comes up he'll probably be playing behind pretty much the iowa wild so that should be a (laughs) little uh a little familiarity um all right uh chris asks eck has only scored five goals and three assists in in 17 games under heinz i haven't double fact checked that 
uh, despite a prominent role in the top power play and centering the top line, are there questions about his production when the team really needs it? Um, I don't think there's questions about his production. I think the team is just not as good right now, and uh, and that that he's now the guy that's being heavily checked. His guy, his goal is still to check the the uh, top players of the other team mostly. And he's getting tons of scoring chances, tons. Yeah, so. I think he, over the last, I looked at it before the last game, and he was number four in the NHL for expected goals, mm. which tells you that he's in the right spots, he's getting the right looks, he and he's finishing fine. I think his expected goals were 19.9, and he has 15. So he's just slightly below where you would expect him to be based on the chances that he's gotten. There are obviously a lot of guys who have exceeded the expected goals, and that's why they're far ahead in the goal category. But I look at that as a pretty accurate judge of where your game is, and that tells you his game has been pretty good. Um, Jack Willery asks, is the Wilds' inability to stay healthy this year a product of age and style of play, a knock on our strength and conditioning, or both, or is it really just bad luck? Seems like it is never ending. It is never ending. I don't know how you measure that stuff. I mean, you know, the one that I'm getting concerned about, and we talked about it a little bit on last week's show, Anthony, is Spurgeon. I mean, he's 34 years old. Um, he is now injured all the time. Um, and this is not just this season. This is this is like every season. So this is only going to get worse. Uh, we talked about his no trade clause uh, becoming modified uh, this off season, but again, he's thirty four, making seven and a half million dollars with three years left on his deal. I don't think that's easy to trade, but this is becoming a this is a major problem because it's handcuffing this team financially too. Not to mention, you can't just replace Jared Spurgeon in your lineup. Yeah, it's injuries are always tough because you just you don't know. We always talk about it. I coach high school football, and we always it's hard to tell with those guys. Like, how hurt are you? Some guys might be dealing with the exact same thing and never open their mouth. Some guys might be walking around like they need to have their leg amputated, and you don't have that magic button or wand that you can touch a player and say, your pain level is only a seven, you can play. And you also don't know when a player tries to come back, Maybe he's just trying to push through something all along. So it's hard to ever know when you start to get guys with recurring injuries. But I think that is a concern. And if you just look at it from surface level, from the outside, it would be you'd be short-sighted if you didn't say, the guy's 34, he hasn't been able to play a full season in a while, there's always something, and he plays the game much bigger than his size. He's willing to block shots. He's willing to go into the hard areas. He's willing to try to battle physically. But you do have to start to wonder, his size and his stature is going to limit his ability to do that for as long as some other guys. And I'm not saying I think it's time to trade him, but I do think it's it's a valid question to wonder just if he, how durable he can be for the last three years of the contract. Right, and last year he was, uh, you know, apparently healthy going in the playoffs, and obviously did not have a good one. Um, Huggle Duggle asked, "Any chance the Wild considered grabbing Samsonov off waivers because hurt? Uh, would it have even been feasible? No. Uh, again, they don't have any cap space, none, uh, zero, and especially and even in LTI, they've 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 exhausted all their LTI. I mean, it's like." Um, you know, uh, like it's it's like it's crazy uh, how like what they have. I think just tr trying to do the math in my head, like about one point five million left in LTI, even like like it's 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 just not enough to do much. Yeah, 
Well, but I mean, my point is, is that that six million of Brodine and LTI has allowed them to afford all these call-ups, and uh, it is—it's just bonkers what's going on with this team right now. It really just totally is. Um, let me see any more questions uh, that are good ones. Uh, blah 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 blah. Um, if the Wild are selling at the deadline, who are re realistic trade pieces for Billy Garen to move? You know, people people keep on asking, are they going to be sellers at the deadline? You need something to sell to be sellers. Like they, the, the, like to me, the second that those extensions happen, they're no longer sellers. Like selling is not just trading Pat Maroon and you know Zach Bogosian. Like selling is getting something of substance back. And I think that right now the only guys that they could trade are guys that are likely going to get you a fifth round pick, sixth round picks, seventh. Maybe Brandon Duham would make the most sense. He could probably get you something second round pick maybe you know i mean there's just yeah we're getting way out of ourselves yeah. let's see what happens how long it takes the team to get healthy where they stand when they get healthy how many games are left when they get healthy and and then you can start to make some of those calls here's something interesting so tomorrow night uh minnesota weather geek uh reminds us that spurgeon's going to be out felino's out and caprisov out all three letters so we know that eck and maroon or the letters now, who is left to get that third A tomorrow? Who? Name somebody. Well, I mean, <laughs> to me, Brock Faber is the guy, except you can't give it to a guy probably this young in his I don't career. Know, maybe you can. Maybe you can. I, I, I mean, I, we've talked about it Goudreau, before. That we think there's a good chance he Dalagoski. ends up being the, the next captain of this team. But I, I'd say maybe Matt Boldy. He doesn't have much more experience than Faber. Yeah. So I'd, I'd maybe go... I don't know. I guess if it was me, I, I might throw it on Brock Faber right now. He's been the guy that has probably had to step up more than any player on this roster due to all these injuries. In fact, there was an interesting stat that we're going to use in our show tomorrow night. The highest share of possible five-on-five -five ice time in the league for the entire season, Brock Faber's number three. So think about that. It, all the minutes that have been played five on five, he's played 40% of them for the wild this year. That's crazy. That's <laughs> nuts. Pretty unbelievable player. Yeah. Uh, put an a, give him an A for Thursday night. Yeah. Give him an A for uh, effort. Yeah. That's a good one. <laughs> um, I thought it was funnier in my head than it came out. I guess. Uh, Bert. Bert uh, Toast asks, uh, what do you think about giving Durer a shot at the top six? Somebody asked about Duhame, too. What do you think of that, Anthony? Uh, just, he's fine. Just keep him <laughs> where he is. <laughs> and those guys, they're going to have to play more. When yeah, you've got are. the lineup beat up the way it is, and you're when you're going to now be trying to win games in a, not that it's a conscious choice to say, hey, guys, let's try to win two to one, but you just know that you're going to have to be really structured defensively. You're going to lean more on your fourth line. To and do they that. have to be better. Their fourth line was probably their worst line the yesterday. Um, all right. Uh, let's see. I, I thought there was one other good one. Um, um, here's one that actually is a good one to end the podcast on because uh, I think you, you'll have a good uh, – Jimmy wants to know, why don't goalies do intermission interviews? Superstitious, too bulky to get down the hall. Uh, need to stay focused. What is it? I mean, Dwayne Rollison actually did one um, when they were in Detroit once with Gorg, if I remember correctly. Um, but w why don't we see goalies do it? 
I'm not sure. I've I have wondered about it sometimes. We've done goalies when we've done high school hockey, and even when we ask, and the guy says, "Yep, the goalie will do it," and we've always thought it was a little weird. But then, uh, when you listen to them do it, I mean, there are some goalies who wouldn't talk in the pregame, like in the morning skate. Yeah. And I've always thought, well, that just seems weird. Why are you any different than the other players? And <laughs> that's Flurry's rule, technically. And then he'll start talking to me. It's like all of a sudden I'll be by there and he'll just start like shooting the breeze. And I'm like, I thought we're not allowed to talk to you. Right. Um, but they, uh, like Backstrom uh, always talked to us on game days and changed it. Um, Dubnik always yeah, talked on game yeah. day. Beezer never talked on game days. Brodor would talk endlessly on game days. Um, all right, last question of the show. Eric Peterson wants to know, is there a positive way to look at all these injuries? Maybe we'll be rested and healthy for the playoffs. I, I guess that's the, uh, that is certainly a positive thinking for two reasons. One, you're thinking that they're going to make the playoffs with all these injuries. Two, that, that this is going to magically... Like, what you said at the beginning of the show, I think is absolutely true is that when you're playing an 82 game schedule you never have the ability to get healthy so if you're out of the lineup and you're pushing yourself to get back what happened to Spurgeon's most likely going to happen to you or you're going to have to for the rest of the year play hurt so I just think this just does not bode well for the rest of the year even if they somehow weather the storm and make the playoffs the reality is is that a lot of these guys are going to need that offseason I mean, we saw it in the playoffs against St. Louis. How many of those guys were should not have been on the ice right. going in? Yeah, and I think— Lino, Dumbo, remember that? Right. There were tons and, of guys. And there are a lot of teams that when you get to the playoffs, then all of a sudden you realize, hey, this guy's been playing through this, this guy's been playing through that. Maybe if you can get to the all-star break where you have a week to sit back and shut it down, I, who knows? But the positives are, I think, one, sometimes you learn a little bit about other guys in your organization when they're given more opportunity to play. I'd say in this case, we've learned a little bit about Brock Faber be that we may not have learned by this point in his career because he's been given such a heavy workload and a leadership role. We've probably learned a little bit about Jake Middleton that we didn't know because he's played a, a larger role. There have been opportunities given to guys like Letary and now Patan and Lucini, guys that have a chance now to show themselves. We saw it last spring when Kaprizov was out. Matt Boldy had a chance to show what he could be as the go-to guy. So sometimes you get that opportunity, and then I guess the other one would be, yeah, if you can somehow get yourself into the playoffs, you might have some guys with a little more gas in the tank because they might only have 60 games of wear and tear on their body as opposed to 82. Mm -hmm. That's a wrap. Um, thanks, for everybody, for listening to the Aquarius Home Services Studio, the Worst Seats in the House podcast. January 16th is our next live show at Tuttle's, 7 p.m. Come early and you can get a pint of Grain Belt and a uh, Worst Seats in the House pint glass. January 22nd at Split Rocks at 7 p.m. is our next live uh, show up north. Uh, thanks to our incredible sponsors. As I mentioned, the Aquarius Home Services, installers of your Connecticut water treatment systems, plumbing, heating, and air conditioning, Huxley Optical, Bosch Law Firm, Royal Credit Union, Twill in the Edina Galleria, and Kowalski's. Talk to you next week, everybody. So much coming out, there's nothing going in. I know that you feel like you're never gonna win. All oh, but the world.